0: Hey everybody, this is Matt Parra, Sabbath School Director, and my good friend, Brad Moody. How are you all going? Sabbath School leader of the? Raymond Terrace Mission Seventh-day Adventist Church. Absolutely. We have a fantastic uh, Sabbath School lesson to comment on this week. Yeah, I'm pumped. And uh, we hope that you guys have been as as blessed as us to some extent, um, really spending time uh, looking at Sabbath School a little deeper. Yeah. Um, This week's lesson, Brad, is uh, called Facing Opposition. And we're going to jump right into the lesson. Just yes. get into the texts of scripture where all the insight and information and all the practical counsel and good stuff is. And uh we're going to jump into Sunday's lesson. Yes. And Sunday's lesson is entitled Opposition Begins. We're going to read together Ezra 4
1: uh verses 1 through 5. Brad, would you read that for us, bro? Yeah, gladly. It says in Ezra chapter 4 verses 1 through to 5. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers' houses and said to them, Let us, not, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said to them you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God but we alone will build to the Lord the God of Israel as the King Cyrus the king of Persia has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus king of Persia even until the reign of Darius king of Persia and in the reign of Ahasuerus in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Sorry, that was verse 6 as well. No,
0: that's all right. That's, <laughs> that's heavy. That's yeah. hectic. Dude, something that comes out to me, and I think this is really important for everyone to consider, and that is that God's enemies are often aware of what you're doing for God. Yeah. Right? Like, if you just kind of consider, it's not just, uh, it's not just good people who hear of what you're doing for Jesus. It's not just people who are moved by the Spirit who become aware of what God is doing in our various churches and ministries, Mm -hmm. but people who are under the wrong spirit oftentimes discover what's happening. It's interesting to me, Brad, how they approach the Israelites, right? Like, hey, hey, we're (laughs) your friends. We worship the same God as you, and we sacrifice to that God. Can we give you a hand? and the whole the whole time these people have real no intentions
1: to help but see that's the thing like it could be easily mistaken for them having good intentions and like i'm personally a bit of a peace like a peacemaker yep. um and it's kind of it's kind of difficult when you're in that circumstance and you have somebody approaching you that, that wants to do something that on the surface appears good, and you feel in your heart that something's not quite right about it. But you don't know how to approach that. Yeah. It's easy to sort of fall back onto, ah, oh, yeah, of course, you know that, right. that that do good. I'm gonna I'm gonna give people the empowerment they need to yeah. do to do help. <laughs> the right? Bible, the Bible says in Philippians two
0: three, let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others, others better, better than, than themselves. themselves. Exactly. So somebody comes up to you, and you're supposed to, as a Christian, it's your obligation as a believer in the true God to so think better of others than you think of yourself. And so you assume sincerity. That's it. You assume yeah. genuineness. Mm-hmm. But this is an example of a time where these people were not genuine. Yes. And somehow, some way the Israelites understood that. And they mm-hmm. saw it. They could mm-hmm. see through
1: the facade that these and the enemies yeah. of God were kind of
0: bringing forward
1: and I would say that that stems largely from Ezra's we've read in the chapters before in the weeks past Ezra's you know posture of whenever something comes upon him He's there ready to pray about it, first and foremost, right? Deeply connected to God. Exactly. And I think that's the thing that gives us the the awareness of things that we would otherwise not be aware of, you know, and it gives us the acuity to recognize, well, there's there's something suspicious behind their motivation or whatever. Um, And I'm just very conscious that, like, we need to be people of prayer in that sense, really well connected with God so that when these things come upon us, we're we're able to navigate it safely and not without, um, uh, you know, diplomacy as well. You know,
0: know, it's funny because uh, the Israelites' response to these enemies of God shows an example of people who are not afraid, people of God Mm -hmm. who are not afraid to disappoint
1: the expectations
0: of others. So they're first and foremost focused on what God Mm -hmm. has called them to do. And they want to accomplish God's purposes. And that's their first priority. And if there are other people around them who have certain expectations of them, like, let us help you. That's Mm -hmm. our expectation of you. We must help you. They are not so concerned with uh, satisfying everyone else's expectations that they just kind of get sucked into what everybody else wants for them. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a very practical lesson because I'm similar to you in some ways Mm -hmm. in that. Like, I like to say yes to everybody. Yeah. I like to meet everyone's expectations. Mm-hmm. I like to please people. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy for me to, to get that desire to please people mixed up with my yeah. duty yeah. and my responsibility mm-hmm. towards God. And, uh, and I can begin, as, a, as a, I know this, this is, this is my case, Brad, is that I, I can tend to begin to worship people's expectations. And make those expectations my God. And then call myself Christian Mm -hmm. while being a slave of what other people want from me. And I can see spiritually, this is not what God wants of me. This is not what God's leading me to. And I think the Israelites are a shining example here of just first and foremost making it their goal to please God. And they could see the insincerity of these people. Mm -hmm. And they knew that possibly rejecting their overtures to help. Was going to offend them mm-hmm. and make them angry. But yeah. no, sorry. Like the Bible says, and this has been coming to me a lot lately. It says, "Oh, no man anything in Romans 13, mm. but to love each other. Or in other words, as long as you know you're acting out of love towards people and you've yeah. not violated the, the law of charity, yeah. you're okay. You've done mm-hmm. your obligation. I'm not obligated to meet everyone's expectations, but I am obligated to love them. Yeah. Me loving yeah. them doesn't mean... I
1: have to meet their expectations. That's the trick: is yep. understanding the definition of what love is yep. versus pleasing people. Yes. You know, you want to be you want to be a, a, a peace uh, maker, yes. not a peace keeper. Yep. Do you know what I mean? That's, it. <laughs> that's, that's I like that you phrase. know, drawing from that, um, the attitudes, you know, be being peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, yep. not the peacekeepers necessarily. Okay. And I'm also very conscious, I think it's, it's just a glaring point that needs to be stated. Yep. When reading these verses, like, when you have been given a call of God and you are striving to the best of your capacity, prayerfully moving forward, you have to expect that there is going to be opposition. Mm. And it's going to be real opposition. Like yes. these guys are not only just standing there and opposing and saying, oh, you guys suck or you smell funny. You know, they're actually yes. hiring people mm. to try and conspire against them. It right. says that they bribed counselors to frustrate their purpose, right? They're trying, they're paying money to try and destroy the work of God. You gotta right. understand that there is going to be real opposition and it is going to be hard to navigate without being imbued by the spirit of God. They're sophisticated. Yeah.
0: They're sophisticated. They're
1: they're really clever in how they approach
0: the Jews. (laughs) And when that doesn't work, like the Jews, the Jewish believers there, they see through Mm. the facade. Mm -hmm. And then now they conspire through the government.
1: Yeah, they're
0: they're sophisticated. Mm. It's a big deal,
1: and it's so easy to take like the Mm -hmm. work of God so lightly. Like it's like oh yeah, I've been given this calling. Like it's it's gonna be easy. God's in it, so it's gonna work out fine. But we, we're not prepared to 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 deal with the sophistry that comes with with like yeah 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 you know these subtle attempts at at at, at um deviating our purposes yeah. from from the divine yeah. and and we lose sight of that when we're not prayerful, prayerful people. It's really so important, important to highlight. I love that. Hey, the last thing
0: I'm going to say about this this day's lesson, uh, Brad, is that our success is dependent upon us pleasing God. Yeah. It's not dependent upon us pleasing people. Yeah. And we have to understand that there are individuals out there, there are groups of individuals who are professionally jealous, mm. who are ambitious and proud and power hungry, and they have some petty reason yeah. that they're going to, to use. Mm. So they have some petty reason in their heart that's going to inspire them to oppose us in God's work. Yeah. And uh, that's the reality of the fact. And we shouldn't worry about pleasing them and honoring them and tippy-toeing around, tippy-toeing on eggshells around mm-hmm. their hopes and dreams for us, you know, their ambitions. Yeah. No, we do what God's called us to. If that offends people, and if we have to say to someone, no, sorry, this is the work that we're doing, that mm-hmm. God's people are doing here in this particular context. Sorry, we don't need you. Uh, thanks so much. So be it, you know, and yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that to, to, to say that we should take upon ourselves a rude disposition, but rather, I just am reminded of when Jesus says in John five to the Pharisaical leaders, he says that, um, you know, how can you who honor men be seeking the honor of God? You know, Mm. so in other words, if your goal is to to seek men's honor and human praise, then it's impossible for you to be seeking the praise and honor that comes from God alone. So I think this is an example of that. Yeah, a positive example. Great point. All right, guys, we're going to head to Monday's lesson. It's entitled Prophets Encouraged. And I'm going to read real quickly Ezra 5, verses 1 through 5. So listen up. Check this out. When the prophets Haggai, the prophet Zechariah, and the son of Edo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shelteel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And mm-hmm. at that time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bosni, and their colleagues came to them and spake to them thus, Who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple and finish this structure? Then we told them accordingly what the names of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report could come to Darius, and then a written reply be returned concerning it. So verse 5 is it to me. That's just the highlight verse of that of that passage. Uh, in, if God has set his attention upon you, and he's assisting and supporting you, then opposition uh, is not going to hinder it. It's not going to stop you. Yeah. They're unstoppable because God is behind them. And I think that there's a, distinct, there's, a, there's a real direct connection between Sunday and Monday's lesson. Sunday's lesson, they make an uncompromising uh, decision to leave out the insincere. Right. The demonstrably insincere are not going to participate with them in their work of rebuilding the temple. Yeah. This pleases God. That's, that, that takes a lot of character. moral courage and they're making a principle-based decision and then you see in chapter 5 God's eyes are on them yeah God is regarding them Mm. he is behind them and supporting them because because they have demonstrated that he should be and uh, I'm not saying that in like in some kind of they earned his favor sense Mm. I'm just simply saying that as no, they demonstrated that they are genuine in their commitment to God. and yep. He's their first priority, yep. uh, not people and pleasing people. And, and he's, he's got his eyes on them.
1: It's interesting uh, moving forward from that into just one of the prophecies from Haggai. I mean, the verses say there that the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah were on side with the people of God in their work. right? Um, but it's interesting when you read the prophecies of Haggai, like, yes, they had the right motive and yes, they're striving for God's purposes but there's distractions, right? And there's distractions of, of, put it simply, complacency. Now, I won't go through and read the whole verses. You can read through it through the, the first chapter of the book of Haggai. Um, but in verse four, it says something very interesting. Um, it it's, it's basically starts out by saying, is you're listening to people that are saying that it's time to stop the work. Right, there's all these people, but it's not that's not what God says. Right, it's not time to stop the work, it's time to continue on. And He's here to encourage, Haggai's there to encourage. And He says (laughs) to them that have somewhat been a little bit distracted, He says to them, Is it time for you to dwell in panelled and sealed houses while this house lies in ruins? Love it. Right, it's so easy when you're in the midst of the work of God to get distracted with looking after yourself. Right? We're focusing in on, on providing a happy, healthy home, and there's nothing wrong with that directly. But when that starts to be, become cross-purposes with what God's called you to do, then there's something amiss. Right? Yeah. And this is what the prophet's highlighting. He's saying your, 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 your subtle distractions, your subtle complacency, in the long run, will be a detriment to you and to your people. What you need to be focused on first and foremost, and this is where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto yeah. you. And he's talking about the needs of life in general, right? So we need to be remembering when we're focused in on doing the work of God as a church or as, as an individual in our day-to-day work life, whatever the case, we need to be focused in on that being a number one priority and not allowing the, the desires for, 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 I guess, the sealed houses or the, the panelled houses, these, these things of, um, of, of our own protection, and our own satisfaction and, and gratification mm-hmm to come before that work. Yeah, good thought. Dude, Haggai six was a text I memorized when I
0: first became a Christian. And it says, consider your ways, you know. And mm-hmm. God then communicates to them, my house is in ruin. Your houses look really nice. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? <laughs> You're satisfied having your life in order while God's worship center is in disorder and, and mm-hmm. discombobulated. I think that's powerful. And, um, yeah, that's a call to us. By all means, that's a call to us. Sometimes we can retreat into our worldly comforts as a way to escape the fear we have of the challenge that's ahead. That there's real opposition, as you said, Mm -hmm. and there's a real challenge. And there's going to be lots of forces around us and a lot of voices around us saying it's not time to build. Now's, you know, not, you know, there's going to be Israelites and Samaritans and all kinds of people outside. Beyond the borders of our church, they're going to just oppose us. Yeah, people inside and outside, and we've got to have the singular. I think I would say like the the singular commitment to what God said. Yeah, exactly. And be like I don't want to say blindly committed, but radically committed to just what God said, no
1: matter what it appears like to to those around. That's
0: right. The prophetic word of God, and it's cool because the prophets help them. Mm. The the Bible says in it's either Second or First Chronicles twenty twenty. Uh, believe his prophets, and you will prosper. Yeah. When it says "believe," it doesn't just mean believe on some intellectual level. Like, yeah. uh, just it doesn't say it doesn't mean intellectually ascend to what prophets said. Mm-hmm. It just it means believe it, like yeah. in the most true and complete sense. You believe it, you practice it, you apply practice it. That's it. You apply. it. You, you commit to what the prophet said, and these prophets here are helping the restorers of the temple. Yeah, uh, they, and this is, I think. To, when, I, when I read this, I think, okay, let the prophetic word be your guide. Mm-hmm. Let the prophetic word be what determines how you function, not the voices around you, mm-hmm. not the opponents, the opposers. Yeah. They're always going to be there. Um, but no, the word of the living God. And if somebody doesn't have a thus saith the Lord, you don't stop working. That's right. You know, if someone doesn't have on. a prophetic utterance that... Directly helps you to understand.
1: Yeah. Like okay, you're, you're wrong here and what yeah. you're up to, up to for God, then. Yeah. But it's interesting, though, that you highlight that because I think it's really important that, that we make a note here. Um, I'm remembering the prophet that was called to go and say a word. Yeah. And then he, he, he gets distracted on his way home. Another prophet says to him, No, 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 it is time. So he's, he's, he's gone, he's said his word, he's on his way back home. He got told to go there, say his thing, and go. Right, yeah. and then on the way home, I think it's Ahab or something like. Anyway, there's another prophet that, that comes and distracts him while he's coming back from Ahab, and says to him, "No, no, no, no. no. There's a new word of the Lord." The prophet. That says, and the man of God,
0: it's either in First or Second Chronicles nine, yeah, thirteen. Thanks for,
1: maybe it's third chapter thirteen. I, I know the story. You know the story, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so he gets distracted <laughs> from his original mission, um, and it ends up in. Well, disaster, like to say the least, where he gets torn apart by lions. Now, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the, the inevitable result of, um, of, of being distracted by a secondary call, but it's certainly important to note that when God calls you to do something, you go fully through with that. And, and a word like, so Haggai here is saying to them, you've been told to go and do this. And now you're getting these words saying, no, 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 it's not time to continue building. Right. It's time to stop and rest and, you know, whatever. He's saying, it's not that time. Yeah. Listen to the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord is is ever growing yes. and expanding, never changing yeah. and redirecting. Well, you, you know, it just, I think you touched on it and I, I just want to say it
0: because mm. it's powerful to me. And that is that there's going to be voices inside and outside. Yeah that are not of God. Yes. That's a perfect summary of what's happening there with the prophet and the man of God and with these opposers in the Jewish situation here with the rebuilding of the temple. Tuesday, the work actually stops. And in Ezra 4, 6 through 24, the Bible tells us about this, how uh, the opponents of God's work were able to, through the governmental system there, the, Mm. the Persian government, Mm-hmm. to actually get the uh, Persian emperor to stop the, the work there at the yeah. temple. And one of the ways that they were able to affect this was by presenting the Jews and the city of Jerusalem in an unfavorable light. Mm-hmm. Right? So they, they they kind of shaped the perspective of the king mm-hmm. by framing the Israelites in a certain way. Yeah. And this makes the king hesitant and fearful and afraid and so stops the work um, the, the, the first lesson that comes to my mind when I consider this fact is that as we said before there are very real setbacks even to the point where you could have the civil authority mm. perceive you as a threat because of how certain individuals have framed your work mm. and and there you go it's done like you now if you're going to continue forward in faith with God are going to have to disobey The state. Now, of course, there's some person who's got a very, maybe I would say, unstable psyche who's Mm -hmm. hearing what I'm saying right now and going, Yes! (laughs) Rebellion against the state. (laughs) I get to rebel against the government. Obviously, I'm saying what I'm saying. In full awareness of the fact that the Bible says that the civil authorities are ordained of God. Yes. And that um, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And so I'm in no way advocating for some rebellious person with wacky ideas that are not founded in Scripture Mm -hmm. justifying themselves functioning illegally. Yeah. I'm just simply saying that here's an example of where opposition becomes so pronounced and so... um, of such a, a grand magnitude that the government itself is afraid of the work of God yeah and uh, that, that happens that, yeah. that, that's that's something that we ought to be prepared for definitely um, opposition can get that serious to the work of God and um,
1: one thing that's important to consider when when faced with that kind of opposition that really feels like it's going to destroy your work you need to be conscious of Um, the fact that God is going to work through that circumstance to a greater glory to his name. Mm. And oftentimes, when it appears as though the work has come to a complete stop, is the perfect opportunity for God to step in and show himself as in control of the circumstance. And we see it so often, right? Um, and it's so encouraging to me, those verses like Romans 8, 28 and, and and that says that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose that you can trust that even in the most dire of circumstances and the most, you know, um, uh, difficult of situations that you face, you can be assured that God has his hand to work towards his glory and towards your growth yep. in Christian character. That's it. Amen. But listen, let's, uh, cruise on over now. Cause the work has
0: stopped. The Jews efforts have been frustrated by their adversaries who've, sneakily worked through the state to, to cause uh, the emperor to, to get them to stop but Nehemiah takes action the man of action the bold holy warrior for Jesus decides that uh, he's gonna he's gonna uh, continue to persist in his pursuit of God's um, will and, and pr- the pursuit of the rebuilding of the temple now um, the lesson uh, st- the lesson study uh, st- points us to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're not going to read uh, the entire chapter, but uh, we just want to talk about a few verses in the chapter that bring out some pretty uh, amazing points, but we want to just kind of narrate through the chapter, so anyone listening who hasn't read Nehemiah chapter 4
1: will kind of just know what's the larger context of the chapter. Yeah. So basically, there's these people that are stepping up and attempting to um, discourage the people by jeering at them, insulting them, and 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 making all these like um, uh, just like lowballs, you know, like just yeah, being
0: derogatory,
1: <laughs> mocking them. When it really when they it's like when they find no capacity for manipulating the circumstance, then it just comes down to to cheap, be- <laughs> belligerent like acus- right. like like insults. Like, That's right. yeah, it's just interesting to see that. You know, one of the, the 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 calls that they make is that if a fox goes up on the wall, it'll break down. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? You guys are ridiculous. You don't even know how to build a wall. We feeble up to? Jews, and yeah, yeah.
0: that's great. <laughs> anyway, so um, then then, then seems we... like seems like the opponents of the work there are Australian. <laughs> what are you saying? No, you're more gonna... to clarify no, what you mean no, by no, that. no, just Australians <laughs> like
1: to have a laugh. That's all I mean. <laughs> they like to make fun of right. each other yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, then you have this this powerful prayer, which we'll highlight a little bit more. So um, uh, as as we go through, but but basically, God just works to oppose the opposers um, And I think, well, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Let's just let's just highlight that prayer um, and and a couple of key points from that. Unless there was anything else you wanted to add to the circumstance. No, I, th- I think
0: that's that's fair. I just I, I would say simply that that the F, the, the mocking and the ridicule. That that does discourage the people. Yeah, like it affects them. Mm. They allow it to affect them, and um, yeah, you can't you can't succeed with God if you cannot travel through successfully the insults and, and mocking yes. of, of other people. So
1: this is just a good lesson for me. But also, um, yeah, the prayer. It's beautiful. Let's get to it. So basically he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them. This is verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 4. And give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. I, I sort of, I can't help but chuckle a little bit there because it's almost like he's he's saying some some pretty heavy stuff. Like, like do not cover their guilt. Do not let their sins be forgiven. Essentially. Like that's a pretty heavy language. These
0: people are mocking us. They're discouraging some of our builders. Okay. Let's pray to God. Let's go to God about this. Hey God. uh, You know, you see what these guys are doing to us. Uh, We want you to return their reproach back onto them. Mm. And we want you to give them up into captivity. Like we've been given up into captivity. And oh, God, please don't forgive their sins. <laughs> and then the kicker, for they have demoralized the builders. Okay, so I want to sidestep the theological implications of their prayer as far as like how they're unforgiving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to kind of bypass that real quick and just make the point that this passage brings out how grave a sin it is to demoralize the builders yeah wow yeah it adds a bit of gravity there's gravity there are you in the way of the builders Wow. or are you participating in the work mm. of rebuilding and you know honestly just to be very frank there are a lot of people who spend more time in their ministry worrying about what other people do in their ministries than they do worrying about their own ministry nice. and they they involve themselves in critiquing other ministries and trying to uh, misrepresent other ministries and, and all of these kinds of things. I see it, and I'm just being very transparent from the Sabbath school director role in the conference. My role as evangelism director. There are ministers. There are church members who do nothing much more than demoralize other builders. Mm. And I think that what should be understood is what Jesus said. What's it to you if they stay alive until I come? You follow me. That's right. You follow me. And so I, I think that sometimes people unintentionally become opposers of what God is doing Mm. because they don't realize that their sole purpose is to follow God as he leads them in their ministry. So are they rebuilding? Are they participating in God's work in a meaningful way? Or have they assigned themselves the job of being the judge of everyone else's work and getting involved with opposing other people's work? And this happens, man. It's just, it really is really weird. And Mm. I I wanted to say too, Brett, just just a thought so I don't forget it. And it may be a bit scattered, but those who oppose the work of God rarely know fully what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a petty jealousy. There's some kind of internal, emotional, psychological issue going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that person looks like the guy who picked on you when you were a kid, and so you're going to try to oppose. You know, I don't know yeah. what the psychological realities are uh, in the in the minds of the people that often oppose God's work. But I think the devil capitalizes on some yes. petty jealousy, some professional jealousy, some fear, some sinful proclivity, something, yeah. and uses someone to oppose a great work of God. And so I think the people in these stories that we're reading who opposed God's work, I don't think that they understood to the full extent what they were doing.
1: Yeah, What they were doing. And
0: so this causes me to check myself and yes, say, hey, exactly. the devil can use you. Mm-hmm. In really serious ways, like in terrible ways, to oppose God's work. And you won't even know it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the blind ignorance. It's a blind ignorance. And And so let me ensure that I don't let any petty jealousy or professional jealousy or
1: spiritual jealousy cause me to become an opposer of what God is doing through someone else. This is why Jesus calls our attention to focus on the, the, the log that is in our own eye before yes. we attempt to remove the speck from somebody else's. Yes. Because most of the time we have um, a, a similar kind of um, uh, you know predisposition to right. uh, that kind of an issue or whatever it is. Um, I think it's interesting um, to clarify um, the, the difference between whether or not you, you are one of those, the potential agents of Satan, and of course we need to, to, to shower this, um, this determination in our own mind with prayer, but to clarify which side you are on of the wall, <laughs> whether yes. you're on top building it or whether you're not is found in verse six where it says "Um, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work Mm. do you have a mind to work or do you have a mind to criticize yes because there's two different yes two different are you you
0: concerned with the work being accomplished or are you worried about you being the one who dictates how it's accomplished by the way that's something that i find to really be a Mm. huge issue Mm. And there's this statement I heard once, and it says, it's amazing what you can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit. And I think sometimes (laughs) in ministry, everyone's so worried about who's going to get the credit, who can claim success, that they get into this really weird, bizarre power struggle to control the work so that they can gain, uh, like,
1: kind of... Acclamation.
0: That's right. Gain praise for the accomplishment of the work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, these people had a mind... To accomplish something, yeah, they didn't have a mind to be praised or to get the glory, or
1: that's it. You know, man, that's a powerful point, bro. Mm, and then I think it's really um, important to note here as well the Im- implications of your work, whether it's a work of criticism or whether it's a work of accomplishing the building of the temple and the walls. Yes, right? where it says, "Turn back their taunt upon their own heads." Now I'm reminded of Jesus throughout varied times and in varied ways saying things along the lines of you reap what you sow right right so what i find in life is that people generally end up getting the thing that they are attempting to either give or put upon somebody else. If you're putting on insult and shame and, and unforgiveness on other people, generally you end up in a despairing place with no forgiveness from those around you. You end up solitary, isolated, and alone, right? right. This, is, this is the same kind of concept that, that you find here, these people here. And, and another prime example, I'm just think of it now, Mordecai in the story of Esther. And Haman, totally. Uh, so it's, this is this is the, the the perfect <laughs> representation of that allegory of what we're articulating here. That that Haman goes ahead and he makes makes all these accusations and, 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 and strives for glory through the subversion of other people's yeah. um, edification, and yes. ends up on the gallows that he had built for someone else to hang somebody else. Yeah. And this is this is like like I don't believe that what Nehemiah is saying in that prayer is I ultimately, ultimately want right. this that's right he's not but he's, he's saying this is the result he's basically saying because God uses the consequences of our actions to turn us from let those them, in future let them yeah, the, yes let them suffer the consequences of their own actions and by the
0: way how do you really feel sorry for what you've done it happens to you that's yeah seriously yeah. like you never sympathize fully with someone until you've experienced what they've experienced and yeah. if you're going to treat people that way Mm-hmm. How better could God teach you that that was wrong for you to do? Truly wrong for yeah. you to do. And how does God help you to become sorry for what you did? Mm-hmm. What you did rather than any consequences? Yes. But then to pronounce judgment on you that the same thing will happen back to you. And then in your heart you go, I see what I did. Yeah. That was really bad. Yeah. And I think that's that's the justification for that kind mm-hmm. of prayer. And I mm-hmm. think when they're saying don't forgive them, I don't think that they mean I mean I don't know what they mean. I don't know what was in their hearts. But I would say I don't think that the Holy Spirit would have compelled them to say, ultimately, we hope that they're damned. I think what's being communicated here is that if they're let off the hook, yeah, they'll, they'll never mean, come to true repentance. They'll continue in their so don't like, pass yes. it over. Don't forgive them right now in, the, yeah. in, in what they're doing. Don't overlook it. They don't need it to be overlooked. It'll be for their harm for it to be overlooked. Ross. No, no, no. You let them suffer the consequences. Don't forget that they're doing this to us and bring it back on them. Yeah. So they can learn what's going on here.
1: Yeah. That and that, that lines up with the kind of man that we know Nehemiah to be from yep. the, the chapters that we've read up to this point.
0: Dude, I got to read a verse. Go I, I, I kind of jumped in
1: there and, and I hope you right, no, Praise
0: God that you brought that up. But there's, this is from Proverbs 1 uh, chapter chapter Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19 that says, "In speaking of those people who try to oppose God's work and who, you know, just do evil, It says, but they lie in wait for their own blood. That's right. They ambush their own lives. Mm -hmm. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Yes. So it's what you were saying about Haman. He ends up on the
1: gallows. They lay a trap for themselves, I think it says in Proverbs elsewhere. Yeah. That's it. Awesome. Anything else we got to say about it? I think we're on to Thursday's, Thursday's lesson. Thursday's lesson, yeah.
0: Doing a great work, man. Um, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Mm-hmm. It's a big portion of Scripture.
1: I love how we, it concludes this. We were going to
0: yeah. read it. We were going to read it, but we're not going to read it no. for the sake of time. Yep. We want to comment on this text. Hey, come on down from the wall in essence, hey, come on down from the wall. Stop the work that you're doing. And Nehemiah says, no, 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 I can't come down from the wall. I'm doing a great work. Man, it's so hard because in ministry, as a local church member or as a ordained pastor, when you're doing something great, you've got to stick to it because a lot of, this, you know, a lot of offers will come to jump off of the wall. Rice. You know, and you've got to have the discernment mm-hmm. through the grace of God to know when you're done with yeah. your work and when you're not. And until you're done, mm-hmm. you're not done, you know. Yeah. And uh, I know that for me, the work can get arduous and challenging and difficult. And I've got lots of calls to come off the wall, mm-hmm. you know, good ones and bad ones. Yeah. And man, it's so tempting to just get off the wall and like. So, I just use that as a metaphor, you know, as a...
1: As a yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, it's so easy to, to fall into the trap, like that prophet that we were talking about earlier, right? Where, where he gets another word from God that, that looks as though it's the word of God. But in He's, actual fact, it's there to derail him from his purposes. So we need to be prayerful to know whether the call is to uh, further our potential influence and, and, and glory to God yeah. through our life, or whether it's a derailment of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that I think can come through the discernment of the Holy Spirit. But when God has called you to a work, yeah. unless He calls you elsewhere through providence and, and, and obvious leading through circumstance, you stick at it. Yes. You keep doing it. And, and I know I feel that. In in my own career, I think a lot of people feel that in their own career where you're heading along a direction, you're like, I feel like God's got a big call on my life, but like, it's not until He makes that call that I'm going to step out in faith. And I believe that's the right place to be, just like you were saying in your ministry. You you feel like this is where I'm supposed to be right now, and I'm going to continue doing that until I get an obvious call elsewhere. Not because some person's come up to me and said to me that you would fit this role really good, or you would fit this role really well. No, 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 no. not until God says, do we move forward on that? I
0: wanted to say, too, anything that God
1: and anything you're doing for God
0: is a great work. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What you know, we think of great in terms of like human greatness, you know, relative to ourselves. What's great? I used to work for a ministry and we used to always talk about doing more. Mm-hmm. Doing greater things for God. And generally what that meant was having a bigger audience to listen to us. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And what what was great for Jesus? Well, he could have been the most popular multimedia ministry the world had ever seen. Have he, had he just come to earth in the year 2019? Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't his intention, though. It was to save men and women's souls. Mm-hmm. And so he invested in 12 disciples and 70 disciples and he formed them and fashioned them in such a way that he could build his church on he and them, mm-hmm. and that he could really make a lasting long-term impact for the sake of the souls he came to save and die for. Yeah. And so great is not what people think is great. Great mm-hmm. is what God thinks is great. Yeah. And uh, whatever God asks us to do is a great work. And yeah. I think that whether you are a deacon in the church who faithfully unlocks the church on time and... Whatever, if you're a janitor in the church, you know, David says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Uh, So, I mean, whatever you do for God is great because God can turn any honest, genuine service into blessing for the world. And so I think there should be uh, a bunch of people listening to us and studying their Bibles this week that would say, I'm doing a great work for God.
1: Right. And whatever that, whatever that means. That's exactly it. That's that's the the climax of the whole the whole story. Is that like you've got a role to play right here and right now. Yes. Like you think of the little old lady that put the two mites in. She has no comprehension. You don't even know if she heard what Jesus said that's or right. not, right? But. But her story has gone down throughout the ages. And that has encouraged me multiple times over, yeah. many other people Give as well. Give what you can. Give what you and, can. And, and God blesses according to the proportion that you sacrifice right. on his behalf. That's Not right. to say that you sacrifice beyond your needs, but mm-hmm. like you know, sure. beyond what you need to use for your livelihood. But yes. just the, the, the sacrifice is, is proportionate to the blessing that it will be to the world because of what God is doing through it. And this is the thing, um, I I love that that God accomplishes the great work with these guys that are here on the wall trying to build the walls, right? And you read about it, it took them 52 days to build this wall, which is just an absolutely huge task. Um, But then they get it done because of two things. Firstly, their mind to work, their dedication to that purpose, and then God's blessing on their behalf. And I think it's something that's so encouraging to me, doesn't matter what size work I'm doing, if I'm doing it wholeheartedly and to the best of my capacity, seeking God's will on it, seeking the Spirit's influence through it, and seeking to, to, to be the best that I possibly can be with the circumstances I have at my hands, God says that he that's faithful in that which is least will mm-hmm. be faithful in that which is most. Yeah. And we can rest assured that, that, that he will accomplish a great work in a short amount of time. Yes. And we need that as a worldwide church. And, then, and, and dude, the last thing I'm going to say about this lesson, brother, is that a great,
0: every great work begins... Uh, every great work is accomplished one small task at a time yeah true and we're oftentimes worrying about the big work yes when we're not willing to do the small, the small things ones. for God yes. and so the name and story comes to mind for those of you guys who know it um, you've got this general who's got leprosy who's been sent to a prophet mm-hmm. and the prophet asked him to dip into the Jordan River seven times and then that that would heal him. And uh he was upset, he was frustrated; he wanted a more magnificent prescription because he was a high and noble dignitary of a great army you know of a great nation um mm-hmm. and he was a great warrior, and his servant said to him, "If the prophet would have said, "Do something you know great, wouldn't you have done it and uh so why would you do something small
1: Yes, and, right. and
0: so you know Poignant. you've got this this lesson taught there that you know if 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 God asks you to do something great, you'll do it because you look really great because you've to do it. But if God asks you to do something small, sometimes you won't do it because, you know, it doesn't make you look great. Mm-hmm. And this is a test. Uh, Ellen White says, I don't remember the statement specifically, it's from Education, page 50. It's a quote that I used to always hear, it's something to the effect of character is demonstrated in, the, in faithfulness in the small things. Something like that, I'm sorry I'm butchering it, it just came to my mind. But, but if a person's willing to do something small, then it proves that they're willing to do something for God because they're doing it for God. And that makes it a great work because you're doing it for the great God of the universe. You're not doing it for yourself. The greatest work that a human being might accomplish is not a great work if he's trying to accomplish it for his ego and for his pride and his ambition's sake. That's not a great work at all, even if it's great in the eyes of men. So I'd just like to say church, family, Sabbath school leaders, pastors, anyone who happens to listen through this whole... Big, long commentary on the Sabbath School lesson. Um, Do what you do for God's sake, not for man's sake. And believe in your heart of hearts that if you're doing a work for God, it is a great work. And oftentimes, um, we aren't assigned great tasks by God because we're not willing to do the small tasks that he assigns. That's right, yeah. And so you want to do something great for God? Do everything you do for God. And everything you do is great work for God then. That's it. You know, it's a way to make life great. Mm-hmm. That's my thoughts. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Pray for us. We'll pray for you. The Spirit of God. Uh, we need Him. And uh yeah, He He's promised. So let's not just ask for Him with our mouths this week before we teach or during our classes. Let's ask for Him um, with our lives. God bless you guys. Take care. See ya.